All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss hey there it's michelle norris i'm host of a podcast called your mama's kitchen when i travel i'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when i'm not at home and one of the things i love to do when i am at home is entertain and airbnb allows me to do that when i was in california recently i rented a house that had a great kitchen and when we were sitting around the table we're all thinking we're in someone else's house someone could be in all of our homes as well If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to the DFO Rundown Podcast with Frank Saravalli and Jason Greger on dailyfaceoff.com. Delivered by DoorDash. Welcome to episode 174 of the DFO Rundown. I'm Jason Greger along with Frank Saravalli. And uh, Frank, uh, Thanksgiving has uh, come and gone. Did you survive? We did survive, yes. Uh, great four-day weekend. Pretty awesome. No youth hockey around here, so got to relax and chill. And always struck by Thanksgiving, just how every family, like you, I even saw some commercials, like painting uh, Thanksgiving dinners, and every family has one or two people in it that you're just like, man, how do we end up with this person? And where am I going with this? Do you have one of those friends? Oh, yeah, 100%. I have a very strange uncle. My mom's brother, he's 60-something years old and still lives at home. And he showed up to my house in his traditional holiday outfit wearing a button-down shirt and a dickie underneath. Honestly, I didn't even know they still made dickies or sold them. What is that? It's It's a mock turtleneck, so like just the turtleneck part of it. And then it cuts off here. Like there's nothing else. Like you wear it like over your head just to like have something to stick out of your collar. You ever see Christmas Vacation? Cousin Eddie, he's wearing the dickie. That's what it's called. All right. Yeah, it's called a dickie. Yeah. I've never never seen a a dickie in. uh, (laughs) 
So that's that sounds really bad. <laughs> He's but you know uh, I mean. a very um, interesting character. So uh, did he have a shirt on? Uh, so he had a shirt, a like a oh. button-down shirt, but then like okay. the turtleneck part of it that cuts off here is like sticking through, and yeah, it's yeah. just for show. It's kind of like a it's like a scarf. Uh, it, but it's weirder than a scarf. Like you have to look it up. It's it's very very it's a very strange thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's funny. My my immediate family, no issues. We all we all get along. Now I have a pretty big extended family. My mom has six brothers, and so I have. I think on my mom's side, I have twenty five first cousins, and so I'm kind of right in the middle of our group. So I'm lucky. I get to know all my cousins, kind of the older ones and the younger ones, and everything was good. It's only been the last few years. I don't know if it's as the age. I got one of my uncles who kind of he's a real big conspiracy theorist now. So. And I don't really know. Uh, no, he's game. it's all that. Like you can't even he he's into every part of that. Yeah. Like you and you, I just don't even like you can't even engage in any sort of like real conversation because it turns to that in a hurry. But just more than that, just some very he he, he skews social norms. Uh, let's let's put it that way. Like uh I forget last party we had that he came to, we had like a shrimp tray. You know, like just a shrimp. Did cocktail. he double dip? No, no double dip, but like he was so aggressively <laughs> slurping the shrimp out of the shell that it was just like, what is happening here? My dad called me before Thanksgiving. He's like, yeah, I'm going to pick up a shrimp tray. I was like, oh God. And he's like, uh, how many should we get? He said, is 50 enough? And I was like, well, I was like, uncle Mark's going to eat 28 of them. So you might as well get 75. So there you go. Hey, you know what though? I, I love the shrimp tray. Like I'm a huge fan of the shrimp, but I'm definitely not a shrimp slurper. Like you don't want to be the slurper. Yeah. That's uh that's not good. It's like the fun sponge. You're just sucking all the fun out of it. So. Yeah. No, I, I, I mean, I hate to slag him cause I, I do. I, you know, I just know that he's definitely not listening cause he's not into sports. So. <laughs> all right. Well, that's okay. Uh, speaking of uh, sports, of course, the, uh, the world cup goes on. Are you, uh, do you follow the world cup at all? Uh, I do, and I did watch uh, the Canada game on Sunday, and it was electric to start, and then, whew, man. Yeah, well, Croatia, it was like Happy Gilmore's good, girlfriend man. fell off Croatia's a cliff. midfielders. Died oh, on they impact. dominated. They did, but you know what? Hey, they're pretty good. So, um, you know, I think for Canada, now you have an opportunity. You just want to bounce back. They'd love to get a win. I think if they could leave the World Cup with a win and you go, you know, one and two – and they'd be pretty happy, especially because the game against Belgium, they should have won. And in a, in a round robin tournament, like in, in an 82 game regular season, Frank, you'll play games where you deserve to win. And usually it evens out in a three gamer, you know, like let's say Canada manages to beat Morocco. They will probably have nightmares about how they weren't able to at least get a draw against Belgium when they totally dominated the game. And that's yeah. what happens in a round robin. It's much harder. Hey, there's not much much margin for error. And when you're Canada, you're coming in with no experience. I think the moment maybe probably got a little bit of them in the first game. And then just the defensive miscues in game two against Croatia. They There were so many opportunities to either clear the ball or, or make a stop, and they just couldn't. They just couldn't no. get out of their own way. But no, I love it though. I love the, I have to say, I love the world cup. I love, Hey, what about Canada? First ever Davis cup championship. So uh, they're only 31 behind the U S now, but still uh, their tennis uh, starting to improve, which is uh, fantastic. And uh, certain teams in the NHL as we are, of course, a, a hockey podcast, Frank. 
Uh, we'll get. Wait, to can it. we? Can, can I? Can I just air one grievance that I have? Sure. All the Canadian cheerleading on social media, like, fine, I get it, like, no issue whatsoever. But I saw a question posed. I think it was from Bar Down or someone that said, "Now that Canada is out, which team are you rooting for?" And almost no one picked the U.S. And I'm like, really? That just seems a little screwed up. Well, I think they're pretty big rivals, though, right? Like, they play in CONCACAF together. Who cares? Like, what does that have to do with anything? It's the first time Canada's been in in 36 years. Are they really that big of rivals? Well, they are lately, yeah. Okay. Right? In the last 18 months. What? But there's enough spots to go around. Like, I, I would just assume you cheer to your closest neighbor. Well, I'm going to guess most people that answered, Frank, probably went to their ancestry. Right. And now suddenly they're cheering for, you know, wherever or the team. Realistically, probably the team that they used to cheer for before Canada became competitive. <laughs> Maybe, but I didn't see any, any, hardly any U.S. And I thought that was disappointing. Oh. I don't, I like rivalries though. So I wouldn't, uh, if, if I was a, like, I'm not a huge diehard soccer fan. I'm not going to pretend uh, that I am. So I, I don't have, like, you, I'm not going to watch, I don't watch premier. I can't watch everything, right? I, like, I have a sports show where I talk a lot of football and, and basketball and baseball. I just don't have time for every sport, right? And Saturday mornings, I just can't give up my Saturday mornings. To, so you, to you'd have to be up at 5 a.m. Mountain time. Yeah, like it's, it's just, so it's, it's not really like enough I respect Eastern soccer. Time. It was actually the sport I was probably the best at uh, mm-hmm. growing up. But, um, you know, I enjoy watching the big games. And, you know, Canada and the U.S., like, Canada's going to be competitive now moving forward. I think they'll be, they'll be a good rivalry with the U.S. And the fact that uh, they're all hosting in uh, in four years, Canada, U.S., and Mexico, that's, you know, that's going to be fantastic about the World Cup. And it's the one thing I'm, I'm already planning on. I want tickets. i got to get tickets to one of those games. That's going to be my goal for the next four years, to get tickets to the World Cup. Perhaps I could help you out. Come on down to the Cradle of Liberty here in Philadelphia. No. Hey, you know what? I'm going anywhere, but. Yeah, like to me, I got, I got a few ins, but I uh, definitely uh, my son's asked him about it. He's he's playing indoor soccer now, and and so he's a he's a little bit of a soccer. Fan. This is the place to be. Look, there's a bunch of games hosted in this area. You don't even need to fly anywhere. Yeah, I know. Yeah, Edmonton was gonna host. They have the great facility, but FIFA, you know, the most. Oh, by the way, it's like FIFA. Can there be a more corrupt organization in uh, in sports right now? How they're a non for profit's a joke. But anyway. Um, Let's uh, let's get to the NHL, Frank. What's not a joke is the NHL's ability that no game is over. I have to. I just want to applaud. Like I know John Tortorella talked about how it's a young, dumb, dumb league. I, I'm going to take. I, I have a slight disagreement with it, and I don't. I'm not going to be the one. Hey, oh, he said something. I only disagree because I think in the early 2000s. Hockey was boring in the NHL compared to today. It was defense first. It was a bunch of chipping and chasing. You look at how many teams don't chip and chase now, for the most part. They want a puck possession game. And so when you have the possession of the puck, you're going to have more turnovers. It's just how it works. And I think it's fantastic. I I say way more exciting. Oh, I see more skill in the game than ever before from every player, defensemen, forwards, what have you, they're making more plays. Now it's also faster. So guys create pressure quicker. It causes turnovers. And and to me, the game is infinitely more exciting. I, I don't know if I call it just, is it younger? I'd have to look and see what the average age of players is. Potentially maybe it is, but I just think there's, there's more plays being made. The puck is on guys sticks across the league more because we don't just see teams crossing center ice, dumping it in and having a game of ping pong where they go back and get it. Then they dump it out. They dump it in. Then you go back and forth. So 
I think that leads to more mistakes, and I like it. Let me tell you this. After 10 straight losses for the Philadelphia Flyers now, John Tortorella at almost every single turn has made it almost abundantly clear, reading between the lines of every post-game press conference, that he is basically trying to jam it up the arse of the Flyers GM. Now it's young and dumb. Before it's, you know, we don't have the talent and it's I can't judge this team based on the injuries. It's always something. And it's I don't want to criticize anyone personally. He's talking about the players because he knows that they're working hard. But he's essentially saying to the, to the manager, we don't have enough. And he's turning the knife every single time he's talking. That's the way I read it. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, you know you're right. The Flyers are uh, are struggling mightily, but I don't know if you watched that St. Louis Florida game. Like you know, Florida's up three nothing the first nine minutes of the game, and then they lead four to one after the third, and then the Blues score three goals in under eight minutes midway through the third. Cairo, after a slow start, has really picked up the pace. Frank, and we're just, we're starting to see some teams, but I do want to talk about one team and we haven't talked about them a whole lot, Frank. We did have their coach, uh, Derek Lalonde, on to start the year. Mm -hmm. Are you a believer in the Detroit Red Wings who have now won four in a row again and and they sit, you know, in third place, they got 26 points. They're 11, five and four so far through this season. Like I give the Detroit Red Wings a lot of credit, man. They, I don't know if, if they'll hold on to make a playoff spot, but man, they look of all those teams of last year, excluding New Jersey, you know, they are improved significantly. I, but I, I thought they would be. Like, I'm not patting myself on the back. Like, look at all the upgrades that they made. I mean, they were. it was a pretty significant overhaul in terms of the pieces that they added to a young group that already was trending in the right direction. Um, here's what I – am I a believer? Yes. Am I a believer in where they're heading? Yes. Does that mean they'll get in the playoffs this year? I don't know. Uh, the way I'm looking at it, I think it's basically a three-horse race for two spots. And that's – it's going to come down to Detroit, Florida, and Pittsburgh, I believe, for the last two spots. You the might – Yeah, you might throw in the Rangers. Um, you might say the Rangers could maybe knock off a team like the Islanders or someone. There's a lot that could be in flux. But what I'm looking at it, that's sort of how I see this shaping up. Well, you know what? That's good. There's lots more competition, as we expected. Last year was a real anomaly in the massive separation amongst the eight playoff teams and the non-eight playoff teams in the East. The, the gap is, I hope is we definitely don't closed. Again. But, man, Red Wings fans, after some some lean years, they got to be pretty excited about their team. Um, the, uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs, despite massive injuries on their back end, you know, Matt Murray's come back from injury, and this is eerily similar last year, Frank. When he came back from injury in Ottawa, I actually played really well. Then he got hurt again. But uh, Matt Murray, since coming back, has been pretty good. He wasn't this good in Ottawa. I can tell you that. You know, he, he might have had a stretch. Yeah, he had a short stretch, about nine games, ten games. But it wasn't as good as this. Um, when you look at the games that he's put together, um, he hasn't given up more than three it's been it's been really good and he's someone that deserves the kudos because someone like me's been all over him because of the injury history and some of that's out of your control but i also it wasn't just the injury history that's a huge part of it do you you know we've talked all the time about how one of the greatest abilities is dependability and reliability but the idea that even when he did play, 
his game looked technically flawed. Like we've talked about it with Kevin Woodley. We've talked about it with Mike McKenna. There's something that was off there. And I'm not saying it's totally solved or that he, he will be able to stay upright, but it, it's really funny. The Leafs and their, their goaltending this year, whether it was Samsonov and basically playing as well as he possibly could, um, or Murray, both those guys have twin 921 save percentages yeah. to this point in the season. And Shalgren being asked to play, you know, one eighth of the season has has sort of held his head above water. He had a tough first handful of games, and the last five were very serviceable. So the issue for the Leafs, and and we've talked about this, has not been keeping the puck out of their net. The issue has been at times scoring. But I still think when it's all said and done, there's no chance that they can go through this season without adding a defenseman. Yeah, they're still thirteen and five and five, right? Like they got a pretty big, a pretty good record. They're only five points back of the Bruins. I know they have the Bruins have two games in hand, but as good as the Bruins have been, they barely lost. They're eighteen and three. The Leafs are five back. Yeah, wow. It's a you know, it's funny though that certain teams that you would expect to be good in the overtime, the Leafs aren't good in overtime. They've lost five times. Carolina can't win in overtime to save their life. Like it's, it's kind of interesting. Like the loser point helps you for sure. Right. But it is interesting. It's, it's a, an area like when you look at teams who are built on speed and skill, like Toronto and Carolina should be much better in, in three on three than they have been. Shocking yeah, to me. Totally agree. And I don't know why, maybe for a team like Toronto that's so defensively conscious among their forward group, maybe they throw all that out the window when it comes to overtime. I don't know what the answer is. Yeah, and then on the other end, and we're going to have Sarah Oleski joining us, the Winnipeg Jets, they can't lose an OT, Frank. They, they lead the league with six overtime wins. They only have seven regulation wins, but they have 13 uh, in over uh, six, you know, in overtime. So they're a team that's really flourishing in OT. We'll find out from Sarah uh, a little bit later on. Um, what about the Seattle man, Kraken? Can we talk about they, the Kraken? Yeah, they keep going. We've talked about them. Like, they... Nine, one, and one, the month of November. Here, Here's the rankings in the month of November. New Jersey Devils and that ridiculous win streak they've been on, followed closely by the Kraken, and then the then the Boston Bruins. Mm-hmm. That That's how good they've been. And they're, what, third in the West in terms of second in the West in terms of points percentage. Yeah. No, they've been, you know, give the Kraken credit, man. They're, they're much better early on than I thought they'd be this year. Like I, th- I knew they'd be improved for sure, but I didn't think they'd be this dominant. And now we'll see if uh, they continue it. They've, you know, they've, they've had a little bit of a benefit of kind of playing some easier teams. Like Vegas has significantly played lower teams, like below 500 points percentage, mm-hmm. right? Uh, they, they've played, I think it's 10 of 22 games against those type of teams. So, you know, eventually that will even out as the, as the season progresses. And Seattle's had a little bit uh, of an easier sked compared to like Calgary or LA or Edmonton, but I don't care. You know, they're still winning the games. And ultimately uh, that is what matters. Um, Often on the ice, Frank, the Vancouver Canucks are a story right now. Uh, they've won three in a row. Um, you know, they're, they got contributions. Now they get some guys. Kuzmenko's done everything they've wanted, scored the overtime winner last night in San Jose. And I saw you had a story about, you know, there's, there's a lawsuit uh, off ice for them. Yeah, there is Rachel Dowery, their former um, assistant video coach uh, filed a human rights violation claim with uh, the Canucks in British Columbia. And I just think it's important to point out the, the conversation that, took place on social media afterwards is just absolutely disgusting. 
I look, this is an uncomfortable story, I think, for everyone. Um, and especially uncomfortable for someone that covers the league really closely and knows all parties involved. Um, but I'll say this. There's some pretty significant allegations that are made by Rachel Dowery, and she she's under penalty of perjury. So I, I think it's an important thing to keep in mind for anyone that may be reading that complaint saying there's no incentive for her to fluff this up or to, to make it up um, because she's putting herself on the line. And that's an important thing to point out. The Canucks, of course, made their statements. Uh, also, uh, from Emily Castengay, their assistant GM, who was also named in the complaint. Um, so the Canucks have, you know, denied it, and they say that, um, you know, they they completely disagree with the claims that were made by Rachel Dory and Emily Castengay. Same thing. So we'll see how it plays out. I don't think there's a lot to say at the moment other than to report the news, which is that a claim was filed against the Canucks for uh, part of her termination and the way that she was treated. And we'll see where it goes. Yeah. The unique story. You don't see that very often in the national hockey league. So uh, we will see, uh, where it goes, and the uh, the Canucks are hoping on the ice anyway that uh, their team keeps playing well. Uh, winners of three in a row, and uh, you know they obviously they're they're still under five hundred at nine, ten, and three. But uh, Calgary's struggling. They're tied um, with Calgary now. Yeah, tied with Calgary. They're a point back of Edmonton, and Edmonton's got uh, some more injury issues. Uh, Ryan McLeod, the latest guy to go on IR. Warren Fogle might not be available tonight. Uh, we'll see. So uh, they still have McDavid and Drysaddle though, so that's pretty important. Uh, for them and they had a massive comeback on the weekend against the Rangers we talked about that Florida uh, St. Louis comeback well Edmonton had a similar one uh, down three Cobb in the third period scored uh, three goals none of them with McDavid or Drysaddle on the ice which is probably the biggest positive for Edmonton and then and they went on a power play goal late so man did that we'll make see. that plane ride feel a lot better going back to Alberta well, dude, think about the difference between the Edmonton flight home from New York and Florida's flight home from Florida to Edmonton. Right? Both teams played on Saturday. One team overcame a 3-0 deficit. The other team gave up a 3-0 deficit twice. Uh, mm. You know, three-goal lead twice. So, yeah, one would be a lot more jovial than, than the other. Uh, what, what is wrong with the Rangers? What do you see? Well, you know what, Frank? Honestly, Shesterkin's not lights out right now. He's not the problem. But last year, I think he he, he really covered, covered up, up so much for a lot of their mistakes. And and this year, he's not. You know, he's not at a nine thirty two, nine thirty three. He's not awful, but you know, nine thirty two, three to nine fifteen, sixteen. Well, that's kind of the difference. And you know, I think they got to tighten things up defensively in Newark, no question. Yeah, I think that's been the biggest thing. We we knew last year that they gave up a lot, and particularly not a lot of goals, but a lot of high danger and quality chances against that they were sort of this team that flew in the face of analytics and, and went on a run. And now I don't know if that's coming back to bite them or what, but to hear some of their players talk, that's what's been most inter- interesting or intriguing to hear someone like Chris Kreider say like, We've been told time and time again what to do, and we're not doing it. That that raises some eyebrows with me, and it's a team that it's already starting to, you know, starting to smell itself a little bit. Like, think about the spot that they're in. I mean, they're on pace for like eighty-six points. I mean, yeah. it's they got some work to do. And f- and consider this: Larry Brooks pointed this out in his column uh, in the New York Post, and I hadn't realized it, but last. Two seasons ago, the team of the four conference finalists, 
three of them didn't make the playoffs the following season. Yeah. So to, to so to think that the Rangers are guaranteed lock, I, I don't know that that should be the case. And it looks to me like when you look at the playoff picture as it stands at this exact moment, we're going to see, we could see significant turnover. We could see as many as six teams from last year that don't get in. It's going to be fun. And that's what the NHL should want, a little bit of turnover from year to year for sure. So it'll be fun. Uh, before we get to Sarah Lesky, let's uh, welcome in uh, Tyler Uremchuk. Ty, how you doing? I am doing good, and I am ready for a new edition of Buy or Sell, delivered by our friends at DoorDash. You can get 25% off and no delivery fees when you use the promo code GAMEDAY25. It's off your first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app. Hey, before before we get started, what do Frank and I have to offer you to keep your mustache for December? I don't think I it's don't about, want to look at that thing anymore. I ain't offering anything. I, I was going to say, no I, I think it's not so much about offering me. It may be uh, the significant other in my life who, who who you may need to sweeten the pot for, because I don't know if I can get away with uh, many more days of this thing. Well, we'll have to have a conversation. Yeah, so. we might. Uh, all right, let's get into buy or sell. Uh, the first one I got for you is uh, a question about the Jack Adams trophy. And just looking around the league, there are so many really, really good candidates for this thing. Um, but I'm going to go ahead and say that the favorite should be Jim Montgomery out in Boston. The way they played through injuries, the way they haven't slowed down at all. I'm going to say he is my Jack Adams favorite. Jason, are you buying or selling? And if you sell, give me your favorite. Dude, that was my guy. So I am, uh, I am buying as well. I think they've, uh, you know, new coach comes in. Uh, you mentioned all the injuries, and they're off to it. So he would be now. There's uh, some other really good candidates. So let me make it abundantly clear. There's no clear cut favorite right now, but uh, he was the one who I had penciled in number one. So I am buying. I'm gonna sell. And look, I'm not knocking the job that Jim Montgomery has done at all. It's been amazing. But anyone not named. Bruce Cassidy, I think, was going to hit the ground running with that team this year. Um, so I'm going to sell, and I'm going to give you my – I'm going to stay with my preseason pick, and that was Rick Bonus. We're going to talk mm-hmm. to Sarah Orleski about the Jets coming up, but I know he hasn't been around for all the games on the bench as he's been dealing with this long COVID that he's had, but – Something needed to change with that group, and given that it's the same exact roster and the coach is different, feels like it might be the coach. And, and before Dallas and New Jersey, hey, Pete DeBoer and Lindy Ruff are going to get a lot of votes too, so I just want to put that out there before everybody freaks out. We see what they're doing, it's but you only get one answer. A lot of great mm-hmm. candidates right now, at least in the NHL season. Uh, you guys mentioned the Seattle Kraken, and they are now seven points clear of being out of the playoff spot. Seven points up on Minnesota, who would be the next team out of a wild card position at least. So they're playing great, but are you buying or selling them as a playoff team, Frank? I've been selling, and I think it just comes down to pure... I'm going to sell, and it comes down to pure teams that are behind them chasing them. Mm-hmm. Like I just, I think Edmonton and Calgary are significantly better, and I think that that cream is going to rise to the top. And I think Seattle, unfortunately for them, although they've banked a lot and put themselves in a great spot, like, look, they're eight points up on those two teams right now. Um, It's a long way to go. We still have three quarters of the season to play. Frank, I wish you would have uh, taken the macho man 
clip there in full. I just had the cream and bring it out to your hand. It's probably one of the greatest Macho Man clips of all time when he talks about cream rising to the top. Every time I hear that statement, that's all I think about. Google it, people. You won't be disappointed. It's the greatest Macho Man uh, monologue uh, with him and me and Gene. But um, I have to, uh, I have to sell as well. <clears throat> They're rolling. Uh, you know, lots of things are going right. I still, I'm not 100% sold on their goaltending. So, you know, I could easily eat my uh, my words here at the end of the season, but uh, I'm going to sell. I'm going to ask you the same question for a team out in the East, and that's the New York Islanders. I'm selling on the Islanders as a playoff team. I look at kind of who's behind them in the standings with the Rangers potentially being able to catch them. Pittsburgh starting to play some decent hockey as well. Carolina is still technically behind them in the standings. I think the Islanders are going to fall off. I think they're going to struggle to score goals eventually at some point this year. I'm selling them, selling on them as a playoff team. Jason, are you buying or selling on the Islanders as a playoff team? I'm going to buy on the Islanders. The, the Islanders went to the conference final two years in a row. They, they obviously last year was a big disappointment. They got one of the best goalies in the league, and he's playing like one of the best goalies in the league. We talked earlier about maybe the Rangers' struggles because Shesterkin, not that he's been bad, but right now Ilya Sorokin is playing so good, and I don't see it changing. You know, he was excellent last year for them. So I will buy on the Islanders getting back to the dance. Look, my arm isn't big enough, but I would pat myself on the back for picking Ilya Sorokin to win the Vezina this year. Um, franchise player. Like, I put him in the franchise player category, and people were laughing, saying, this guy, come on, what have you seen to, to designate him as such? Well, what have you been missing? This guy is legit. And, yeah, I think the Islanders – They've gotten a little juice from Lane Lambert, too. Like, I think at some point he could be in the Jack Adams conversation. So I am going to buy on the Islanders uh, being a playoff team. That actually ties in perfectly to our Points Bet Canada bonus question. They have updated odds on all the major trophies throughout the season, and they have the Vesna. And Ilya Sorokin is not the favorite. So I, I, I want to ask you guys this. Who do you think is their favorite? If it's not Sorokin... Who would you have as number one in the Vesna rankings, Frank? I, huh. um, I don't know. It'd be hard to go against Olmark. Jay Hellebuck, Hellebuck, probably. Jay, who do you think it is? Who do I think their yeah. favorite is? I'm so wrong on who, because <laughs> I, I think it would be Olmark too, uh, based on what he's done in the first quarter of the season. Yeah, it, uh, it is. Linus Allmark is the favorite on points bet Canada at plus 350. Sorokin right behind him, plus 450. Shesterkin, followed by Hellebuck and Ottinger to round out the top five. And those are the only five names with better than 10 to 1 odds. So there you go. That is a wrap on this week's edition of Buy or Sell. Shout out to points bet Canada and our friends at DoorDash. Now that race for the uh, Vesna. Well, there's lots of races. That Hellebuck is going to have a really strong case. We'll talk oh, yeah. about that. Uh, Jake Ottinger. Hey, Jake Ottinger's teammates, man. Uh, Jason Robertson just continues to roll right now. Did you see his last 100 games? The guy's got 54 goals, right? And I, I think it's in his last 82 games. If you go from last season to this season, that guy is on fire right now for the Dallas Stars. And that contract that they signed is looking pretty sweet for the mm -hmm. Stars right now. No kidding. No. Well, uh, let's bring in Sarah Orleski. It'll join us on the DFO Rundown. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Our, no- our next guest is a good friend of the show. Sarah Orleski spent 14 years at TSN as the Winnipeg Bureau reporter, and she now has a front row seat to the Central Division leading Winnipeg Jets. She is their senior host and producer, and we're proud to welcome her to the DFO Rundown. Sarah, how are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm so excited to be here with you guys. Yeah, no, great to chat with you. And let's start there with the job change. Uh, Big deal for you leaving TSN, not only covering the Jets and hosting uh, Jets on TSN, but also spent many years on the CFL sidelines and covering the Grey Cup as well. What's the transition been like? Uh, You know what? It's been great. It's obviously been different. Um, Not going to lie. I might have shed a few tears during the playoffs during for CFL. It just was so different to be warm and inside watching from my couch as opposed to um, being on the sidelines. So I joke, I even wore a toque for one of the games just so that I could still feel as if I had a little bit um, of a part in it, but it's been, it's been good. It's been uh, reinvigorating as well. And being able to work with some fantastic people. I mean, obviously I did at TSN, but then now with, the Jets as well. And this is an organization and a team that I'm obviously very familiar with having covered them since their first day in Winnipeg. Yeah. And and now you are literally on the inside in terms of watching it all come together. And you picked a really intriguing and interesting season to step into that. Um, You know, I think a lot of people were curious watching this team from afar. What would this be like you know not a ton of change roster wise but pretty significant changes um off the ice in terms of blake wheeler no longer being the team's captain rick bonus comes in as an experienced head coach uh after you know paul maurice and dave lowry that crew and and frankly the assistant coaches had been there for a very long time um a big change off the ice and i think people are saying well what is this team are they going to be a playoff team are they not and they've really come together in an interesting way. What's it? What what stands out to you from the first quarter of the season from the Jets as you watched? I think that what stands out 
most is just the environment is around and the mood around the team. Obviously, I mean, winning cures all. And, and so everybody's been in a good mood. But I didn't know what to expect going into this season. As you mentioned, not a lot of changes on the ice. And so I think that able to look at You could look at it two ways, depending which way. You could either say that last year going into the season, so many people had high expectations for the Jets. They obviously did not deliver on it. But the same group largely brought back this year, so the potential could be there for it. And they've been able to come together. The, the job that Rick Bonus and this coaching staff have done and what they have tried to implement from even before training camp started with Rick reaching out to the players and really trying to get a sense of this team. And then they've dealt with, I mean, they've dealt with adversity. They've dealt with changes as well. Like so many teams, I mean, they have... They've had a number of key players injured. They just got Morgan Barron back, but they've had three of their top nine players sidelined front and they've had different players step up into different roles and they've just, they have really bought in, but it's the energy around this team is the biggest difference that I noticed for it. There's lots of laughs, there's smiles. There's just, it's a different feeling. And granted we haven't been in the dressing room for a couple of seasons because of everything with COVID, but it is a different feeling in that dressing room now than when we were in there uh, a couple of years ago or being around this team. So it's been great to see. Uh, and I think that it's been able to pay off so far for them, obviously on the ice. One of the big changes and maybe the major change was of course, removing the captaincy from Blake Wheeler. And, you know, that could have went two ways. So I gave him a lot of credit, but has it been, a benefit for him, Sarah. Is he more relaxed? Is is doing less? Is that better for him? I think you could definitely look at it that way. There's uh, we often hear people speak about the challenges and just the expectations that go along with being not only a captain in the team but a captain in a Canadian market as well. And it, you know, Blake was one that was a expected to obviously to speak to the media all the time. And so we don't speak to him to the same extent that did before, but I think he's able to go out and really just play, maybe be a little bit freer with it. And I think it's been great for the group to be able to expand that leadership group for more players to have that voice. You know, even when speaking with about different features that we're looking at doing, they take it to the group. And so there just seems to be more of that, that group mentality for it, as opposed to just having that, that one captain and that leader and and I think that it's I think that it's been great for this group you've seen other players that even though they were leaders beforehand and make no mistake I mean Blake continues to lead on and off the ice it's he still easily has a, a key presence in that leadership group but to be able to spread it around a little bit more uh, I think that it is it's really benefited him as well as others within group because they needed to expand that leadership group and they needed other players to feel that they had a voice and that they had responsibility with it as well they've been in a lot of close games and the one area of their game that has really you know catapulted them to where they're at in the stand is, is their ability to win in overtime they're six and one they lead the nhl the most overtime wins was six which is significantly more than anybody else what is it about their three-on-three -three play that's so good this year well they obviously i mean you look at the high-end talent uh, that they have with it they also have to be honest they also have a goaltender that's returned to vesna like form with it and has been a key part um of this equation and they their success for them. But I just, I think that the way that 
and the players have not only been rolling, but the way that Rick Bonus sometimes has utilized them has just really paid off. And this is a group that we have not seen panic. You mentioned all the overtimes with with it, and they've had adversity. And uh, you just look at the last week, even when uh, not in terms of extra time, but in terms of getting to that that third period where. So we've seen six on fives where they've given up leads and this, there just isn't panic in this group. And I think that we've seen a number of different players be able to step up, be able to um, show that offensive skill. And when we look at that roster for it, I think that you look at the high end talent that exists there, the three on three, they've got a lot of speed. They've got a lot of confidence with it right now. And you've seen a number of different players step up. It isn't just Kyle Connor. It isn't just Mark Shifley. They've been getting contributions across the board. Yeah, and one of the big contributors has been Josh Marcy. Three game-winning goals, tying a career high. What the heck has happened to Josh Marcy? 23 points in 20 games. His previous career high, 37. Like, we're only a quarter of the way into the year. Where did this offensive explosion come from? Uh, the home of Josh Norrissey, as they joke about uh, here in Winnipeg now for it. He is certainly, you know, I mentioned the the difference that it's been under Rick Bonus and just the the way that these systems are have been implemented, the encouragement. He wanted that blue line to get more involved with it. We know the offensive abilities that Josh Morrissey has. We saw it throughout his junior career. We've seen it at different points, but we didn't see it as much in, in recent seasons. And I think that he has that freedom right now to be able to jump in and play. He's encouraged to do it for it. And he's taken advantage of it. You look at the speed that he had on that last overtime goal and with just that ability to break out into the speed. We hadn't seen it on display in recent years. Again, I think that they're being encouraged to do that a lot more now. And he's just, he is flourishing um, under Rick Bonus in this system right now. And it's great to see because I think that that's one of the things that Josh was known for earlier on in his career or had the ability for. So to be able to see him put it on display, I mean, obviously helps his confidence and is paying off for the Jets as well. Yeah, he had that offensive flair in Prince Albert, but didn't really see it at all in the NHL level. And I think we kind of thought of him as a shutdown guy for the longest time. So it's been fascinating to watch that. But I'm curious, if not Josh Morrissey, so he probably takes the cake. Who? What other player do you think has benefited the most from uh, the difference in, in structure and coaching change? Oh, good question. You know what? I, I mean, you could look at – I wouldn't even go there to six. I'd say that there's – it's just kind of being across the board. And and I know that that's kind of being Switzerland and staying right on the fence with it, but you've just seen a number of, of different players step up um, and be given roles and be given um, more opportunity than maybe what we saw in the past with it. I think that this is a, this is a group right now that, Rick bonus isn't afraid to, he's had to adjust partly because of injuries. He's had to adjust his lineup and give different opportunities, different players. But I think that you've seen players step up and make the most of their opportunities. He's really, he's tried to not shorten the bench. He's tried to go with the four line. So you've seen, you know, in that bottom six, you've seen players that have been waiting for their opportunity to step in, uh, be able to do it. And, and you look at players that, 
beyond your top six, you look at players, me in that third and that fourth line that have really, mm-hmm. even just in the very, and I granted, they're very small sample size, as even though, you know, we're looking a quarter of the way through the season, it's still only 20 games. And a number of these players haven't played 20 games, but when they've been given the opportunity, uh, you know, in the last couple of games, someone that's really, caught the eye of people in this market has been Mikey Acemont and the job that he's done. Um, just Rick even gave him the confidence, put him on the, they put him on the second power play unit last game. They've just given him opportunities and he's thrived under it. So I think that you've seen a number of players step up that role. He hasn't been afraid to mix it up. And his big message has always been that you need to earn your playing time. And so it isn't just given to you. And so I think that that's something that, you know, we didn't always see here in the past. I think that um, certain players, given their um, role in the team, were given more ice time regardless of how they were playing. I think that now you feel everybody again, feeling as if they, they play that important role and that they will have the opportunities if they, Uh, go out there and perform and we've seen it so far and this is a group that cannot just have those top two lines going Kyle Connor although he's gotten on a roll now you think about how he got off to a slow start in terms statistically the shots were there the goals weren't though so for him uh, for this team to have success they can't just rely on their top six they need all four lines going and I think that that's what we've been able to see so far uh, under this new coaching staff 20 games into the season. And the, the one player you talk about, you know, Kyle Connor off to a slow start, Nikolai Ehlers basically hasn't played all season long. That, that guy was a lock as, you know, a very good productive player for, for the Jets for, for many years. And, uh, you know, I, I think that speaks to, to them having, you know, next man up kind of mentality. And, and every team always has that mentality, Sarah, but it doesn't always come to fruition. Right. So who, who yes. do you feel like who has stepped up in his absence that maybe you did that they didn't expect to? Well, I think that, you know, you look at, they've had to, they've adjusted um, and they've had to rotate different players through uh, because of that. And you mentioned this was the season in which Nikolai Ehlers is expected to be on that top line, right wing. And that this was, you know, for so many years, we had seen Mark Scheifele and Blake Wheeler kind of paired together on that top line. This was Nikolai Ehlers' opportunity, gets injured. And you think about the, not only the offensive output that he could have, but just how dynamic he is on the ice and how much it, how much of that offense can be helped along by him. So they've tried different players up there. I mean, we've seen um, we've seen a rotation of players go up through there, including Sam Gagne, who I mean, you love him. Probably should not be on the should not be playing on your top line um, at this point in his career. But they've tried to get a bunch of different players to go through there and they rotated their lines again in the last game. So it's really, it's been a little bit more by committee and with Ehlers being out of the lineup and the depth becomes that much more important and we've seen it. So they've, they've really rotated. And it's one of the things that actually I've really enjoyed about watching bonus, even though you don't like to see your line switched up too much, he hasn't been afraid to get things going to move, players around whether it be in game or to or at the start of the game to really try to get the offense going because he mentioned after the game last night in which Sam Gagne was a healthy scratch he'd gone from playing on the top line to 
to being a healthy scratch. And so you, they're difficult decisions that have to be made. It's for whatever is best for the team going into that game. They have to adjust because of injuries. And so for this game, Gagne was the odd man out. And But whatever they are doing right now seems to be working. And that this team, even if they've had a bad game, they haven't had multiple bad games. They've been able to cut it short, park that, uh, park the bad games, and then move on. Now they'll look for some consistency again, though, to be able to string together a number of good games in which they're not just winning; they're playing the right way. They're getting that cliche of that sixty-minute effort, and uh, continue to, I think, surprise a lot of people with what they've seen so far. You mentioned Sam Gagne, Sarah, because it's interesting. Like he, he, you know, he signed very late in the process and was looked to be a, a depth guy, and he filled in roles. And, and, and he's a very smart player. Sam Gagne is somebody who thinks the game at a very high level. You know, he's talked about he's had to change his game to be more of a bottom six, but given the opportunity, he can. And then you mentioned he's healthy, scratched. Um, is, is that like is it lack of speed? What what takes him from being you know kind of that roller coaster from you know bottom six, top six, and now out of the lineup? Well, so Bonus described it after the game as really just being a variety of issues. They hadn't been good in the face-off circle. Their fourth-line center, David Gustafson, wasn't in the game last night. Um, he was out with an injury, and so they needed someone you know, that could play center. They needed someone that could be um, good in the circle as well. And so it just kind of the way that things trickled down and went through um, Sam was the odd man out, but I mean, he slated in the month of December, I believe it's the 20, maybe the 23rd now that he's slated to hit a thousand games. He's so smart. He's been one of my favorite signings so far, just because he has been able to contribute in a variety of different ways. He is kind of that Swiss army. If he's seen his minutes go up, he's being put into positions that they hadn't originally envisioned him having to be in. But because of that intelligence and that hockey sense that he has, he's been able to adapt. And I think he's been a great signing for the Winnipeg Jets. And I expect to see him back in the lineup. Um, I mean, if not on Tuesday, I expect him to see him back in the lineup very shortly. Sarah, the last question for me, and I can't let you go without asking about Connor Hellebuck. Um, he's someone that has always struck me as someone that plays with a chip on his shoulder. And I was wondering if the way last season unfolded, not just for the team, but also for his own game, he wasn't bad by any stretch of the imagination, but sort of below the Hellebuck level that we had come to expect um, how much do you think that fueled him and what have you seen from him personality wise, someone that has never lacked confidence shows it again over the weekend with more comments about the, um, rule changes that he'd like to see. But I, I just, I think that's part of what makes him so good. Absolutely. And now that he has, you mentioned the confidence and before he had the Vesna, before he put up those numbers, that confidence you would sometimes look at and think, I'm not quite sure where this all comes from. Um, just because outwardly it was always, he's very, he was always very confident in his game. He always felt that he would get to that Vesna um, level, which he obviously did. And he's returned to, I think that last season was really challenging him, not only with, the game that was in front of him, but think about COVID that he dealt with. I just think that there were a number of different factors that went into it. Um, he's worked on, he says, getting faster again, getting, and he's just, I don't know if it's 
it's not the fundamentals per se, but he has just, he has been back in that zone again. And I know, you know, early on, a lot of people were saying, well, look at the, how much they've had to rely on Connor Hellebuck. Well, I mean, he's a Vesna winning goaltender. He's a part of the team. I, as much as you don't want to make it a heavy workload for him every night for it, that's why you have a goaltender of Connor Hellebuck's caliber to be able to help your team in those situations. And, you know, and to be able, he needs to be a key contributor for it. And he has been. And he just, he has been locked in this season. Um, I think that he definitely, he wants to get back to the level that he was at before. He wants to get back into that Vesna conversation, wants this to help lead this team and be a key figure in leading this team beyond just the playoffs and beyond just a first round. He wants, you know, the ultimate goal obviously is to win the Stanley Cup, but he's not the only one you two that has that chip on the shoulder. I think that going into this season, I think a number of players um, obviously did not have the season both personally and as a team that they wanted last year, but they felt that this was a group that was now being written off, that they want to prove something out there. But I just, I feel as if this has, this team has a real team feeling to it, that just they're all pulling in the same direction. And, um, you know, obviously the results have been there 20 games into the season. Sarah, we always like to wrap up with rapid fire, and the uh, only rule is you have to answer the question. Okay. Oh, this is stressful, Kate. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll we'll start with we'll start with a really easy one for you. Um, Shifley, Wheeler, trivia. Shifley no, okay. Wheeler and Hellebuck are all UFAs at the end of next season. What is the concern level amongst Jets fans that one, two, or three might leave? Ooh. Um... I wouldn't say that right now that it's very high. I don't think that people would expect all three to be back, but I think that um, at this point, haven't heard a ton of concern yet about it. I think people are focused more on this season, but I wouldn't, I would be, I would think that a lot of Jets fans believe that all three won't, won't be back. Who has been the unsung hero who doesn't get a lot of accolades, but has played very well for the Jets? Oh, let's go with, but hasn't gotten, uh, let's go with Adam Lowry. Adam Lowry. Uh, you worked the sidelines for lots of years in the CFL. What is your favorite sideline story that you've never told? Oh, geez. Um, oh, you guys that I've never told. Um, oh. Or maybe told that's still your favorite. The, my favorite sideline story. Um, I don't know. I've, ooh, uh, I don't know. I think awful in pressure situations. Uh, but I did always like the players that we would report had, you know, were out for the game that had gone to the hospital to get checked. Uh, there was one player and all of a sudden he appeared back in the game. He checked himself out of the hospital, took a cab back to the stadium, uh, still, in his, still in his gear and went back into the game. Didn't, isn't he what didn't he go to the hospital what is he doing back here yeah took a cab back and uh and went back in so uh, of your fellow tsn um reporters that you worked with over the years which one used to ask you for the most <laughs> advice on how to look the best on camera for their for their Brian makeup Chuck. specifically oh no sorry no um Oh, for their makeup specifically. So I'll tell you one very quickly. So Paul Apolise, who uh, um, 
was a head coach and has been on our in the CFL and has been uh, on our on the CFL panel for his first game on site was in Winnipeg and right before the start of the game is he didn't realize that we don't have makeup on site unlike when you're on the panel and you're in studio and there's a makeup artist there so just before the game was about to start he asked where the makeup artist was and we we don't have a makeup artist so i had the producer um in my ear ask me um so uh hey sir uh do you have any makeup or anything and can you go up and help lapo so i took my makeup bag up and had to powder him up and and everything like that but there's nothing i enjoy more than seeing panelists go out on site especially if there isn't it's it's rare that a makeup artist isn't there if, if someone from the panel is on site, but it's also it's pretty it's pretty funny to watch how much they uh, they enjoy being pampered. So, so basically, you're telling me that the panelists are much more high maintenance than the uh, than the sideline reporters. One hundred percent, no doubt about it. <laughs> um. Being at, at TSN for as long as you did, you covered lots of different sporting events. Is there one sport that you didn't cover that you always wanted to? Mm, Sport-wise, no. You know what? I would love to have done. I would love to have covered um, gymnastics at the Olympics. Oh, were you a gymnast as a child? I was a child until I became much too tall. <laughs> I was just going to say, I, like, that's a, that's a tough one, right? That's, that's a sport that very much uh, is a little bit of sizeism. It, it definitely is. When you were, I mean, when I was, um, when I was a gymnast, I mean, the giants would be five foot one or five foot two. It became clear pretty early on that gymnastics was not, uh, you know, Olympic caliber <laughs> gymnast. I was not. Um, that wasn't the only thing that held me back. Just I have enough self awareness to know that. But uh, yeah, that's always been one of my one of my favorite sports. I spent many many hours pretending to be an Olympic gymnast in the basement as a child. Biggest difference between covering the CFL and the NHL? Um, access typically. Um, so it's just, it's a different, it's a different environment right, with it. I think that for a variety of different reasons, plus you only have nine teams in the CFL and um, is one of my, absolutely one of my favorite leagues that I've ever covered, have so much uh, love for the people involved with it. Uh, so I've been mean, in total, I spent almost 20 years covering the CFL. So there wasn't a stroke that I think other than Richie Hall, there was not a coach left that had played in the CFL that I hadn't covered at some point um, as a player. But the biggest difference I think certainly would be, would be the access. If somebody's coming to Winnipeg, what is the one restaurant they have to go to? And then what bar should they stop in at? Frank will tell you, I am not the person to ask about a bar. What's my, what's my nickname, Frank? Uh, Sarah's nickname when we worked together was Grandma O. Yeah. Okay. Well, you must be out for dinner at least, Sarah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes, Sarah. I can confirm. Sarah does go to dinner. I do go to dinner, but other than that, yeah, it was Frank used to just send me the emoji of the grandma. 
yes. for it all the time because I would always go, this is too loud. It's too, it's too late. It's too this, that. Um, restaurant wise. Oh, there's so many great ones. That's one of the amazing things about, uh, one of the best things about Winnipeg, if you're a foodie, uh, is that there are so many great restaurants. I would say that, um, Clementine, if you like breakfast or brunch is certainly way to go. Um, Never go wrong with wasabi for sushi. Oof. All right. Sarah, thanks so much for joining us as always. We appreciate it. Uh, stay warm and have a have a great month of, uh, I guess, well, November's already over. And then uh, we're, we're a month away, so I can say uh, happy early Merry Christmas. <laughs> well, happy early Merry Christmas to you too as well. And hope to be able to talk to both of you again soon. Sarah Oleski and the uh, Jets, Frank, uh, you're... I, I know last year you're big on the Jets, but uh, they seem to have been living up to your 2022 expectations. And Connor Hellebuck, uh, we were talking about the Vesna earlier. Uh, yeah, he'll he'll definitely be in the run in the way he's playing right now. I honestly, I I picked this team as a playoff team again this year against my better judgment. Um, I felt like this year was going to go one of two ways. Either it was going to blow up fantastically and they were going to be one of the very worst teams in the league, or they were going to be pretty damn good. And I figured just with the talent that they have and specifically the goaltending, like that goaltending cures a lot of their problems. And I say it all the time. Sometimes I think this sport should be renamed from hockey to goalie because you can't win without it. And when you've got Hellebuck kicking at 925 and he was in the 930s at some for some stretch, like you're going to win a ton of hockey games. And he's... I thought Sarah's point was great. Like you can't understate and people say, Oh, well he covers a lot of that up. It's like, well, they also score enough too. They also have enough talent offensively. So I don't know. Uh, the jets are going to be a really interesting team. Cause they could have some, we talked about the Bruins and the last dance. Like they could have some last dance vibes based on some of the questions you were asking about contracts being up. This is a core that had went on a run previously 2018 conference final. I uh, was there for all three rounds. They had something going. They had a special mojo, and I wonder if they could find it again. Yeah, it'll be interesting to watch. I'm fascinated to see kind of where the Jets go, not only this year, but also next season. Uh, Frank, have yourself an awesome week. Uh, we will talk to you on Friday. Thanks for listening to the DFO Rundown with Saravali and Gregor. Keep it locked on dailyfaceoff.com and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. Delivered by DoorDash. All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special coming your way this playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. And let me tell you, it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal. Every playoff game day, you're going to be faced with four questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle. And here's a sneak peek into some of those questions we'll be firing your way. First up, you got to pick the winning team. That sounds simple, right? But there's more. You got to decide if the total amount of goals in the game will be over or under a certain amount. And that's where the real strategy starts to kick in. Next up, you're picking who's going to find the back of the net first. And you're going to want to be careful because that's one that could be cooked early on in the game. And finally, you got to predict which period is going to be the highest scoring. Will it be a barn burner in the first, a shootout in the second, or a nail biter in the third? That's up to you to decide. Now let's talk about prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? 
For the daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards to treat yourself to some fresh nation gear, and you might even win a jersey from your favorite team. And for the big dogs, those who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. Play now at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess.